Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll, a poem uh, found and probably first published, as far as I know, in Through the Looking Glass uh, and What Alice Found There, an 1871 novel uh, and a sequel to Alice's Adventures in Wonderland from 1865. Um, This is a nonsense poem, is it? Is that what this is? I guess it depends on what you think the word nonsense means. Mm. There was a sort of a tradition, uh, not just uh, Carol, but uh, I believe there was a lot of sort of nonsense books in the 19th century, late 19th century anyways. And uh, sure. so the most famous other is uh, is Edward Lear. Uh, right. Yeah. Who wrote, who wrote the many books. Pussycat went to sea in a beautiful pea green boat and so on. Uh, mm hmm. And I think, I think yes, it's nonsense. But I think it's really important to to know that that nonsense doesn't really mean no sense, because if something three up green, my mother, the square root of social security number, <laughs> if something has no sense at all, we get nothing from it except that it is nonsensical. But with things that are nonsense in the vein that you're discussing, there is some sense around which we can understand the nature of the nonsense. Um, Let me exemplify. Uh, Edward Lear says um, that the coast scenery, he gives this as a definition, the coast scenery um, is Pom Scazilius and Gromfibrous, in that no words can describe its magnificence. Hmm. And of course, Pom Scazilius and Gromfibrous are not words. So no words can describe its magnificence, which is the opposite of what we would think we would usually mean when you say no words can describe its magnificence. He gives us the words that are no words that can describe its magnificence. That's nonsense. In a way, all oxymorons are Mm -hmm. nonsense that convey some sense. Um, And in, in a similar way, the great nonsense work like Jabberwocky keeps saying things that we know aren't real. These are no words. And yet, because they are embedded in a language that we understand and they use some words that we do understand and they're put together in some way that we understand, we construct a sense that, at least in part, is a commentary on what we mean by sense, I think. Mm-hmm. The other thing I like about uh, nonsense poems like this, and I guess nonsense words, is is they 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 have a tendency to embiggen the language, if you know what I mean. <laughs> uh, uh, Vorpal, uh, I've, I'm sure people use that all the time now. I, I I'm sure there's a few fantasy novels and games that they talk about Vorpal blades and. It has a specific meaning in that book, or right? You know, maybe um, we should read the poem because I think you're right to remind ourselves of all of the words in the poem, and and many of them, in fact, are 
neologisms coined by Carroll for this poem and for this book. In fact, I, I have read, I haven't checked it out myself, that after Shakespeare and the Bible, the earliest references given in the Oxford English Dictionary for words come more from Lewis Carroll than any other author. That's an uffish fact. <laughs> you want to read the poem for us? Okay. Uh, we'll suffer through my interpretation here. Jabberwocky by Lewis Carroll. Twas brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the mome raths outgrabe. Beware the jabberwock, my son, the jaws that bite, the claws that catch. Beware the jubjub bird, and shun the frumious bandersnatch. He took his vorpal sword in hand, long time the maxim foe he sought. So he rested by the tum-tum tree, and stood a while in thought. And, as in uffish thought he stood, the jabberwock with eyes of flame came whiffling through the tulgy wood, and burbled as it came. One, two, one, two, and through and through the vorpal blade went snicker-snack. He left it dead, and with its head he went galumphing back. And hast thou slain the jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. O oh, frabjous day, kalu kalay, he chortled in his joy. T'was brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wabe. All mimsy were the borogoves, and the mome raths outgrabe. I did ah. a pretty good job there. <laughs> it's hard to pronounce a lot of these words. Well, one of the things that I find interesting is that uh, it's a little difficult to know how to pronounce words because English is not a phonographic language. Mm -hmm. um, you know, why is laugh, why to laugh and through end with the same four letters? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, here's a place where you and I disagree, my friend. I would have said Tolgi. Uh, not Tolgi, and I would have said Gyres, not Gyres. And, hmm. uh, you know, poor Charles Lutwidge Dodson, the man whose pseudonym is Lewis Carroll, is dead and gone. Hmm. Since 1898, not here to tell us. Ah, oh, sigh. But at least he left us this. So mm -hmm. what do you think of Jabberwock? Um, I like it. I like it a lot. I mean, I, I read it as a kid. Um, I'm sure I, it's so familiar. And I, I think there's even a Monty Python movie that has a whole sequence, or maybe it is just called Jabberwocky. Um, so I'm, I'm well, I was well familiar with it, but it, until you suggested we, we do this one, um, it'd been a long time since I went back to it. Um, I, I know the, like some of the words are ones I'm very familiar with. One of my uncles uses the word galumphing all the time. <laughs> and what does he mean by it? Um, well, um, uh, I take it, I don't know what he means, but, but I take it that he means sort of like stomping, um, galloping, sort of emotionally, um, uh, frustrated. <laughs> you know, I think that, that that is the usual use, um, a sort of, uh, heavy footed, uh, movement, uh, almost stumbling, um, mm -hmm. but, but forward, but, um, that's, 
I think, not what it means in this context. Okay. Even though this is the first context, and I'll tell you why. Um, this poem, as you know, is embedded, as you said, in Through the Looking Glass. Later, about 60 pages later in Through the Looking Glass, Alice, in count, who has just read this poem, um, encounters Humpty Dumpty, and she asks him for some help since he says that he can, he knows everything about words. He can make them do whatever he wants. Yeah, you're uh, talking about the uh, Humpty Dumpty, right? Yeah, right, Humpty Dumpty. And she asks him um, if he could help please explain a poem she has read because it fills her with ideas, but she's not quite sure what. Um, mm -hmm. And she starts with uh, the first, he says, go ahead and recite. And she recites the first uh, quatrain of Jabberwocky. And he begins to explain. And he explains that the words um, are, uh, some of them are what he calls portmanteau words. Mm. Now, that word, a portmanteau word, that is the word portmanteau used in that way, is itself a new meaning that Lewis Carroll creates. A portmanteau is one of those big sea chests. You know, people, uh, they, if you go on a sea voyage in the old days on luxury liners, you might have one of these huge things that opens mm -hmm. up to become a closet so that your clothing is actually hanging in this big chest that opens vertically. Um, and that's called a portmanteau from the French meaning to carry um, clothing. Um, manteau is like a mantle. Uh, mm. So a portmanteau is word is a word that takes two different meanings and closes them up together. And so, in fact, Lewis Carroll gives us a lot of portmanteau words. Well, given the fact that the sun has just conquered the uh, the Bandersnatch, the, the Jabberwock, and he mm -hmm. comes running back, you know, he left it dead and with his head, he went galumphing back. And immediately mm -hmm. the father, who had just been warning him about the dangers of the wood, the father does not say, oh, my God, what happened, boy? He says, and hast thou slain the Jabberwock? Come to my arms, my beamish boy. Oh, fragious day, kaloo, kalay. He chortled in his joy. Chortle. Humpty Dumpty, uh, we, we find out, is is a portmanteau for chuckle and snort, right? He chortles, <laughs> you know, in his joy. So what's galumphing? It's clearly a portmanteau of gallop and triumph, right? Mm. He went galumphing back. So I took a look in the Oxford English Dictionary and son of a gun, it says originally it's triumphant. But now it is usually the meaning that your uncle gives. Mm -hmm. That raises a very interesting question. How do we decide on the meaning of a new word when it is, in fact, nonsense? But it's not nonsense. In the context of Jabberwocky, galumphing is a neologism, a brand new word, but it's not without sense because we make sense out of it the way we make sense out of an oxymoron we make sense out of it it's galloping triumphantly however hmm. out of context galumph 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 there's something kind of onomatopoetic about it that makes hmm. people use it a different way i noticed uh, in my my notes for i you know went through and put 
the meanings for all the words. Um, my personal oh, definition my was uh, happily, heavily skipping. Um, and it, you know, I sent you my drawing. Um, uh, he's happily, heavily skipping because he's riding the head of the Jabberwock back to his father's home or parent or what? What king? It's not exactly clear who who's talking. Um, he says, my son, we assume that that's a child of a parent, but it need not be just could be a young person sure, or, or even just a, a lower person. Um, it, it, this need not be set on earth, right? This is, she, Alice goes through a mirror to a new universe where she finds a book that has the words written in a mirror right so the only way or the only way to read it is to apply a mirror to it um because it's backwards and she reads his backwards poem in a backwards universe so what uh, what things mean uh can change and 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 the other thing about the humpty dumpty um section where he interprets and i i i think it's a wonderful section um he says that's enough to begin with says Humpty Dumpty. There are plenty of hard words there. Brillig means four o'clock in the afternoon, the time when you begin broiling things for dinner. Okay, how does he know that? Well, apparently he knows, right? But, um... Well, remember, he has, really? just, he has just said that words mean what I want them to. That's exactly, exactly right. So th he's got all this confidence, right? He knows exactly what slithy means. Well, slightly means live and slimy. Sounds reasonable, and right? And that's a portmanteau. <laughs> right. Um, and what are toves? <laughs> they are something like badgers, something like lizards, and they are something like corkscrews. Okay. <laughs> but um, he also has a great fall, is my point. And whenever, whenever somebody says, this is the definition of something... In English, we don't have the rules like they have in France where these are the official words and these are the official definitions of them, right? In English, the, the dictionary follows usage, right? That's the, that's the fun and cool part about English and I guess some other languages, but I'm particularly fond of English. It will take these words, um, and I know what a jub-jub bird is in my mind, and you might think you know what a jub-jub bird is in your mind, um, but... It's the use over time that will determine what a jub-jub bird is rather than, you know, some Humpty Dumpty up on an ivory wall <laughs> telling See, us. But that's where I have that's where I have an advantage as, <laughs> as a as a full professor of English at a prestigious that's university. I'm the one who gets to decide what the word means. That's what I'm saying, Eric. That's right. And what you're also saying is I'm in for a great fall. That's right. Um, the mom rats out grape, yes, but only on Tuesdays, right? I don't know what mom rats are, but I do know that they out grape. What, what's so great about this poem is I, I was teaching it to some kids or learning it with some kids. And um, you don't need to know what the, the words are to know what kind of word it is, an adjective or a noun, right? Or preposition. Uh, not that there's any new prepositions in here, but the, the positioning... Um, you know, the, the manxome foe he sought, right? That manxome foe. Well, I don't know what manxome means, but I do know what a manx is. And so when I draw my uh, jabberwock, it has no tail, right? I noticed that that's not the way the 
uh, to Neil drawing looks, right? That's not the way uh, anybody else draws it, but that's the way I draw it because manxum to me means without tail. So there's a really important question here as to who gets to decide. And, and frankly, I'm okay with everybody deciding for themselves to a certain mm-hmm. extent, as long as they can persuade the people with whom they're talking that it makes sense in their context. And mm-hmm. in your context, I understand Manx cats have no tails, so this Manxum beast has no tail. Um, and, and I get that. I also know that Unlike the modern arrangement where publishers bring together authors and illustrators, uh, Lewis Carroll hired Tennille to make, mm-hmm. the, to make these illustrations. Tennille was the most popular contributor to Punch magazine. And Tennille and Carroll had a lot of correspondence back and forth about what to do. Uh, for example, Tennille had suggested that this very image you're talking about, the one that shows, we presume, the Jabberwocky, the Jabberwock, mm-hmm. he had suggested that that be the frontispiece for all of Through the Looking Glass. And Lewis Carroll had said, no, it's too scary. Mm-hmm. This is for children. He didn't want to lose it. He wanted to keep it, but he wanted to move it into the body of the book itself. Well, in fact, Jabberwocky comes up in the first chapter of the book. Mm-hmm. So there is something initiatory about this poem for the whole of the book. Um, but it has a tail, uh, as Lewis Carroll accepted it, because he had control over what Tennille did. He couldn't make Tennille be creative, but he could share mm-hmm. ideas with him and he could veto anything he didn't want. So we know that for... For Lewis Carroll, the Jabberwock does have a tail. Now, mm-hmm. we still have to wonder what does it mean to start in the woods. And I, I'd like to point to this problem of vision. Um, in the book, and maybe this is and maybe this isn't part of the poem. Again, the context right, it tells us what we mean. Um, it begins, Ico rebaje is what na. And what I'm trying to do is read what's written on the page. It's, as you said, Jabberwocky written in mirror language. Interestingly, it's not actually mirror language because the uh, the individual letters are not, mm-hmm. are not rotated. Right. They are not rotated left, right. So that the J looks like a J. It's not pointing in the wrong direction. The J in Ikarubaj. Right? Nonetheless, um, it gives us the impression of being mirror writing. If you hold this up to a mirror, it won't look good. It, you won't be able to read it. But it gives us the impression of mirror writing, which is fine. It's like writing dialect by putting apostrophes in front of where G's used to go, you know, um, smelling good, um, having a good time. Um, that's not really dialect, just right. <laughs> and, and this isn't really a mirror. But the whole book is called Through the Looking Glass. And what Carol has done is given us a chance to apply visual reversal ourselves. If we don't get it, I mean, see, he gives us time to think about it. There's a little illustration following it. Then she puzzled over this for some time, but at last a bright thought struck her. Why, it's a looking glass book, of course. And if I hold it up to a glass, 
the words will all go the right way again. This was the poem that Alice read. And then follows Jabberwocky, the poem that you read for us, Jesse. So Jabberwocky is a terrific poem, but it is embedded in a larger reading experience of discovering meaning that at first is obscure. And just as Carol gives the reader a little bit of a chance to guess that it's mirror writing, we got to go all the way from page 18 or 19 to page 80 something uh, to get Humpty Dumpty explaining about portmanteau words. So Lewis Carroll, again, is giving us the chance, we readers, to make the discoveries on our own. In a way, what's being said here is that mirrors, things that seem to displace our understanding, but in understandable ways, are tools for getting deeper understanding. And I would like to propose that nonsense, which isn't really nonsense, but is sense presented in a way that you just have to work your way through it to get out the sense behind it, as with an oxymoron. Nonsense, Lewis Carroll, I think, is suggesting, is a way of getting deeper sense. So when Alice is done reading that poem and she says, mm, it seems very pretty, she said when she had finished it, but it is rather hard to understand. You see, she didn't like to confess even to herself that she couldn't make it out at all. Somehow it seems to fill my head with ideas, only I don't exactly know what they are. However, somebody killed something. That's clear <laughs> at any rate. So she begins with a kernel of sense and builds out from it, just as I would put it to you, that we readers begin by seeing the J in that reverse word Jabberwocky um, is understandable as a J. We turn it around and what do we get? We get Jabberwocky, which is still nonsense, right? Because we don't know that word. It doesn't exist before this book. So then we have to read on. And eventually we come to more and more sense. So as we read on, get more sense and go deeper, what's happening? If I may continue, after she says, however, somebody killed something, that's clear at any rate. But, oh, thought Alice, suddenly jumping up, if I don't make haste, I shall have to go back through the looking glass. Right? That's, the, that's her tool for seeing things. I will have to go back through the looking glass before I've seen what the rest of the house is like. Let's have a look at the garden first. Now, Alice jumps up at the very first page of Alice in Wonderland. And the, she sees, because she sees a white rabbit running by with a waistcoat and a watch. And he is saying, make haste, make haste. So Alice is again, because this is chapter one of Through the Looking Glass, recognizing she's got to hurry if she's going to make sense in a world that's already set up for her. And it has its rules. She's doing it. And when she falls down the rabbit hole, famously, she looks through the keyhole and sees a garden and she can't get to it. And, you know, we don't have to talk about the first book, Alice in Wonderland, at length to remember that the garden is her first object of desire. And here in the first chapter of Through the Looking Glass, the garden is her first chapter, is her first object of desire. And if you read Genesis, 
that is the most desirable locale in the world and the one from which we have been evicted, we humans. So what Alice is trying to do quickly, given the insight of the looking glass, is find a way to get to, I quote again, the garden first, or if you want to give it a mirror image reading, the first garden. Mm. How do you get there? You have to show bravery. You risk your life and then you slay that beast. I think that your insight, Jesse, that the poem does not actually tell us that it's a father and a son. It could be a parent, meaning a mother. It could be, as you said, an authority figure. This could be the church. This could, could be. be telling us that the Jabberwock is a personification, or I should not a person because it's not a human being, is a, a well, I guess, uh, is, is a, an, an animation of, um, of original sin. And if you can kill it, that is a moment of triumph. That is a moment of triumph. And in that moment, in fact, the Momraths outgrabe. They get out of the grave. There is resurrection. And it's worth remembering, reading this poem now as part of this much larger section, which is itself, I think, a parallel to what's going on in the earlier book. It's worth remembering that although... He was not a practicing uh, occupant of a pulpit. Charles Lutwidge Dodson was, in fact, an ordained um, priest of the Church of England. Hmm. You know, um, one thing that is striking about the poem that's not in the poem is the title, Jabberwocky, rather than Jabberwock. Jabberwock is how it's described throughout the poem, but the the poem itself is the jabber is just jabberwocky and of course it has that opening uh stanza that's repeated um and it it is repeated at the end after the drama has unfolded um as if the first time we read it we we have no idea what's going on and the last time we read it ah now we understand um the jabberwocky it's almost like um how to do it <laughs> yeah. in my mind is is that ah twas brillig and the slithy slithy toves did gyre and gimbal in the wave all mimsy were the borogoves and the momrats out grave now uh, to me that didn't mean anything first time i read it other than you know i get a sense of what borogoves might be uh i i kind of know what gimbals are and gyres are are gyres depending on how you think about about slithy toves i mean it sounds like somebody's mispronouncing slimy toes right right it doesn't sound like something until you've read the whole poem and then you get that repetition at the end i want to note how badly i think the the humpty dumpty interpretation of what that means is he says um she asks uh what is a mom wrath and he says well a wrath is a sort of a green pig 
But mom, I'm not certain about. I think it's short for home or for from home, meaning that they'd lost their way, you know. And what does outgrabe mean? Well, outgribing is something between bellowing and whistling with a kind of sneeze in the middle. However, you hear it done maybe down in the wood yonder. And when you've heard once heard it, you'll be quite content. Who's been repeating all that hard stuff to you, right? So um, he has made his interpretation. But if you apply it, "'Twas brillig in the slithy toves, did gyre and gimble in the wave. All mimsy were the borough groves, and the mome rats outgrabe." Why are the mome rats, which he says are um, uh, far from home pigs, green pigs, um, making this bellowing, whistling noise? Well, um, I don't think his interpretation is to be trusted. I don't think. I think his interpretation is for us to reject. Well, you know, that may well be the case. I think the most important thing about the Alice books is that they teach us as readers that we need to keep taking a fresh look at what is before us exactly. in order yeah. to come to a deeper understanding. And in that sense, I agree with you. However, if you look at the possible reading of Jabberwocky as a fight for the soul to be able to grow up, mm-hmm. then, then that noise that outgrabing is, uh, th- mm-hmm. that noise that's that's could be a death a, it could be a death rattle yeah and you know it was it was brilliant that in the, the afternoon um in fact whatever those bad things are um they they expired we didn't understand what it meant at first Uh, But I think I think that Yates did when he talked about in the second coming things going in the widening gyres. Um, They did gyre and gimbal in the way. This is a poem that, although it's nonsense, seems to have shown. Without any doubt in its impact on the very language we speak, according to the dictionary, and on other great writers like Yeats, that there's always more to say. Let's rest it there by the tum-tum tree. 